Hey friends, Ashton Gustafson here and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. We are in the acceptance and commitment therapy sessions. And I'm looking down at my notes here and I'm just thinking about where this has been going. I think I've got like the Mount Rushmore of uh, the experts of acceptance and commitment therapy. I don't know much. We were talking before the call, but man, um, so grateful for some of the beautiful souls that I've been to cro- been able to cross paths with and just the insight and wisdom that they've brought into the room. And I feel like today uh, that trend is only going to continue with Dr. Jill Stoddard. I thought she was in California. She's not. She used to be. She's now back in Massachusetts. And um, she's got this book called The Big Book of Act. I'm not saying it. Say it in another way. The Big Book of Act Metaphors. And uh, as an Enneagram 3-4, I live in the world of metaphors, so I was like, she and I, we're going to take a beautiful journey today, and who knows where we go with this. But with that being said, uh, here we are in the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Sessions, and joining us today is Dr. Jill Stoddard. Jill, thank thank you so much for joining us. You are so welcome, Ashton. It's great to be here. I, there's nothing I love more than talking about ACT, so I'm very happy to spend this time with right, you. Right on. Well, like I told you before the call, um, I'm, I'm learning more with every call. I am for sure an amateur and for sure a student, but I'm following my nose of curiosity and uh, just loving all of the insights. And each day, the onion peels a little bit more and, and finding that um, this really is a beautiful way of navigating our lives and our relationships and our businesses. Before you and I really get going, uh, I, I thought we would give some space just for you to kind of introduce yourself, uh, who you are, and what you're up to in the world. Sure. Well, as you already said, I'm Jill Stoddard, and I'm a clinical psychologist, and I wear a lot of hats in that role. So I do therapy. I'm doing all telehealth now with people who are in California because I'm physically in Massachusetts. So that'd be way too long of a commute for me. But then I also um, have a podcast, which your listeners probably already know because you've had a couple of my co-hosts on as guests as well. So that's the Psychologists Off the Clock podcast. And we talk about science-based ideas from psychology and often that involves acceptance and commitment therapy. And then I'm also a writer. So I've written the Big Book of Act Metaphors, like you mentioned. I've written another act book called Be Mighty for Women with Anxiety and Worry and Stress. And then I have another book that's coming out um, this fall that uses act and psychological flexibility for imposter syndrome. And those are all of And then I do a lot of teaching and training and things like that in the community and to mental health professionals. And then I have a husband and two children and a French bulldog. If people could, do people see the video or just listen to no, the audio? Just audio here. Okay. So if you could see the video, <laughs> if you look closely at my shelf behind me, you can see at least three different French bulldogs on my shelf, you well, know, like little stuffed animals yes. and Legos and calendars and things like that. So. <laughs> right on. Um, well, super grateful for you saying yes and coming on here today. And I'm, I'm excited to see where we go. You know, our first call with Yael was really just like bird's eye, 30,000 foot view. What on earth are we talking about? Uh, then with Debbie, we kind of dug into um, what it's not or like where naming the suffering. Let's let's name the pain then maybe we can have an aha with a potential remedy. I know for all of my growth moments in life, it wasn't until I was able to name that pain that I could find the doorway out, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what's scary is most of the time I did it was it was I was so numb I didn't even know the pain was there until we started talking about it, and I was like, oh gosh, that reads my mail. And so today I, I thought you know we could kind of maybe just dig into some of the exercises and metaphors that as a therapist, you kind of help navigate people as they walk through present moment awareness, their values, committed action, self as context, diffusion and acceptance. I, I think I think it would be helpful, if not even necessary, for some of us to be given some new language uh, to kind of navigate some of these uh, ideas with. Does that work with work for you? Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Let's talk about metaphors first. Like, why do we need them? Um, Why doesn't just literal language work for conversations like this? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, so one of the things you already talked about with Debbie and Yael is like, what is ACT? And, you know, the main goal of ACT is psychological flexibility, your ability to be in this moment 
with whatever you're thinking and feeling and to choose to do what matters to you based on your values, not to be bossed around by your discomfort or by the stuff your mind is telling you. So that mind is telling you part is really important. And what happens in terms of like what creates psychological inflexibility or experiential avoidance, which it sounds like you may have talked more about with Debbie. So all the things we do to try to control how we feel, that usually stems from relying too much on language, on literal language. Hmm. And what we mean when we say that are things like assumptions, judgments, reasons, quote unquote, rationalizations. So it's like all that stuff that you tell yourself in, in your mind, right? Like, oh, I couldn't possibly go on this podcast because I don't have anything of value to share. Who am I? I'm nobody. And that's not based on in the moment experience of doing this podcast with you. That's based on assumptions and judgments and predictions, right? It's all language. And so we get caught up in language. And so when ACT uses metaphors and experiential exercises or experiential practice, it's a way of trying to connect with elements of our direct experience that pull us away from those traps that we can get into mm. when we rely too heavily on our language. Yeah, yeah. So maybe even a world that we're a little bit familiar with or something that we kind of understand in a way that we can kind of lay over and say it's 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 like this. That those are exactly. those are helpful. And I forget I actually googled this last night. I don't I it, maybe no one ever said this, but I heard before like all metaphors limp a little bit or or something like that. I realize they're not perfect. Like no metaphor yeah. is perfect. No metaphor may may fit everyone, but I think that's the beauty of your book here and these exercises is it's not just one. It's not just one idea for each of these. There are there's a multitude of options mm-hmm. uh, for us to navigate as we kind of dig into some of these things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and yes, maybe they all do limp a little bit, but there are ways that you can find metaphors that fit better or worse, whether it's how they map on topographically or most importantly, how they map on functionally. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right on. Um, So here we go. Let's kind of just, and like, if you need to go therapy mode on me, by by all means, like I probably need it. So I I thought this is such a new way of interviewing because I'm, normally I'm, I've, I've just, read all the work and I feel a little bit like I've got some expertise. I'm a fish out of water when it comes to this conversation, but I'm, I'm learning a ton. So for the, the first metaphor with regards to present moment awareness, mindfulness. Um, and again, I think let's, before we even get going there, the goal of psychological flexibility, I underline this in your book, is presence opening up and doing what matters. Like I think mm-hmm. who, who here would not love a glass of being present, opened up, and doing what in your life, what matters. That that sounds pretty good. Um, and so yeah. that's the direction that all these metaphors are inviting us into, a, a life of presence, one that is open, and one that is uh, allowing us to do what matters. So with mindfulness, and there's so many you could choose from, but like, what mm-hmm. is a practice, an exercise, or a metaphor to begin with the conversation of present moment awareness? Yeah. Well, let's first maybe differentiate between a metaphor and an experiential practice because they are different. Right. And, you know, a metaphor and and given that I wrote a book about this, I should be able to state this very clearly, but it's hard for me to (laughs) sort of put this in language. It's ironic, right? It's hard to put in language, but, you know, you're essentially taking language that is symbolic of something, but kind of like tells a story so that it's salient, meaningful. You really identify the ways this kinds of kind of maps on to that. Um, and I'll give an example of that in a second, but it's more of a story, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and with experiential exercises or experiential practice, it really tends to be something that you're actively doing together. And that practice is often a metaphor for something, but it's different from like, here's a story that I'm, yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'll say, you know, the, the other thing to maybe keep in mind is one of the reasons we use metaphors and experiential practice, going back to your first question, is it, it seems a little funny because in psychotherapy, like if what we're saying is language creates psychological inflexibility, this is a problematic when in, this is problematic when in psychotherapy, all we do is talk and use language, <laughs> right? Right. 
So like the first way that we can get experiential, and, and if you want me to go therapy on you, like we could do this right here is like, if I were to say to you, well, give me an example, maybe if you're comfortable, yeah. if you're willing, I yeah, should say. Let's go. Might of, as well. Like, all right. Give me, give me an example of like something that you struggle with, something that makes you uncomfortable, like in a, like being uh, assertive or, you know, things like that. Something you struggle with. Yeah. No, I would say a, a an angst of, about the future. Are we going to be okay? Angst about the future. Are we going to make it? Is there going to be enough? Okay. What happens okay. when? Okay. Okay. So if I said to you something like, do you really think that we're going to be so bad off? I mean, you're only going to be alive for what? Another 40, 50 years. Like, do you really think it's going to be that bad that you really have to worry this much? Think about like, what kind of answer does that sort of generate from you? Um. Well, it opens up to a little bit of possibility, some options there of like, oh yeah, well, you're probably right. It's probably not as bad well, as hold I'm on. out. No, be honest. When I just asked you that question, didn't your mind automatically go to, yeah, no, I really think things are terrible. I mean, haven't you heard about climate change? Sure. And meet Jesus, what if this politician gets elected again? And to, right. like, that's really, like just then you were trying to give me what you thought was the right answer. But didn't your mind automatically go to, Yes. No, I'm really scared that it's going to be what terrible about? because that's right. The what about? So those are examples of language. Yep. Those are predictions. Those are judgments. Those are reasons. So right away, the, the way that I asked you that question put you into this like language mode. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if instead I said something like. When you get caught up in your worries about the future do you do you do you um are you more or less present in your life less present mm -hmm. so this is just like one quick example question but i'm asking you about your experience and the impact of those worries hmm. on your present moment experience so even just the way as a as an act therapist i word the question can either get you going into language mode right. or get you connected to your experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's getting experiential without even using a metaphor or an right. experiential specific exercise or yep. practice. Yep. Yep. Right. And so you were asking me about mindfulness. So I just asked you, does it make you more or less present? You said less present. And, you know, let's say you've told me that, that you've noticed that and you really want to be more present in your life. So then maybe I say, you know, like, would you be open to practicing some ways of being present in your life? And so for mindfulness or present moment awareness, I don't tend to go so much with metaphors as mm. much as active practices of being present. And like you said, there are a thousand ways that yeah. we can do this. And one you know, kind of quick and dirty way that I'll do it with people. And you, Jay Shetty does this on the Today Show. It's very popular is to just take a minute to use your five senses. So mm -hmm. listeners right now, and when Jay Shetty does it, I don't even know if he's the originator of this practice, but a lot of times you do it as one, two, three, four, five, or five, four, three, two, one, because it's easy mm -hmm. to remember. So you start by looking at five things. So like right now, people can just pick something that's in their in their view. And when you look at that thing, you really look at it. You look at the color, the shape, the, the shadows, the lights. The, I'm right now looking at the dust on my computer. And then you look at something else and look at something else, right? So you do that five times. Now you listen to four different things and you would take a few minutes to do that. And then you touch three different things. Mm -hmm. And then you, what am I missing? Smell. Smell, two different things. And you know, you can just smell your arm or your thumb. You know, if even if you don't have like a flower next yep. to you, or I have some dog treats on my desk <laughs> that I can smell, and you taste one thing, and if you have nothing to eat, you know, you could even lick your skin, and that's still doing that, or taste what's just the, the, the taste that's already in your mouth. And the other way you could do that is to do that and then try to worry about all the bad things that are going to happen in the future. And you'll find that you can't be in two times at that, once. That's right. You can either be in the future or the past or the present. But you can only be in one of those at a time. And so as long as you're practicing, noticing your five senses in the present, you can't be anywhere else. Now, you're not doing that as a way to push away your worries. 
because that backfires. Mm. And the more we try to push away thoughts, the more present they become. But it's a way to sort of strengthen that muscle of, of training your attention to be more in the present. Anything that grounds you, uh, any any practice mm-hmm. that grounds you in the here and now, and then you have that space, right? So now you've, you've, you've given yourself a little bit of space to become the observer of that which is happening in real time, by the way, not in 2034, right. not in 2055, like here and now. And then you may also have the thought at the same time, oh, well, we made it this far. You didn't think you were going to make it this far and you did, and you made it this, you know, so there's a little something can emerge when you've got that space. And that's, yeah. I think that's been the number one thing that I've found as I've studied act is the spaciousness it creates when, mm-hmm. when, when, when our thoughts feel overwhelming and constricted and things feel tight and imprisoned, uh, these practices, they, they, they give us space. And it's in that That's space. percent right. Yeah, it's in that space where detachment happens, where we can, we become the observer. We don't just have those thoughts; we see those thoughts. And anything we can do to get a little separation there, is very, very helpful from a psychological level. Well, that's a hundred percent right. And remember, throughout all of this, every single thing we do is about building psychological flexibility. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, that means choosing values. And it's what you're talking about is being able to choose. If we're reacting on autopilot, which is kind of our default mode, then we're often not choosing based on values. We're choosing based on like comfort, right? Like I want to get into my comfort zone or I'm just doing whatever my mind is telling me to do. And all of these exercises create space. And why does space matter? Because space is where you choose. Mm. Yeah. You choose what you're going to do or not do based on your values. And it's the thoughts and the feelings that often get in the way. So yes, you're able to step back and observe and make space and all of that. But why? So that you can choose values. Yep. Yep. The Viktor Frankl in between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space lies our destiny or our ability to choose. Yeah. 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 Um, How about values? Like, I'm not so sure metaphor is the direction here, but maybe... I, I could assume some of our listeners maybe have gone, I don't even know where to begin an exercise of right. defining my values or, or where do I, where, do I look in my pocket for those? Where, where are these values that you speak of? Um, is it an exercise or is, is it a process of discovery there? Um, yes. Help, help me understand that. Yeah. It can be all of those things. Um, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not sitting with a client and saying, so tell me, what are your values? Because it's exactly what you said. You just sort of be like a deer in headlights, you know. And and like, I got this from the book. Yeah, and I got from the book too. Your values are not your goals. So so mm-hmm. so careful. Watch out. Watch your language and what you're naming there, because we're not naming goals. Values are a yeah. different conversation. The way I like to start by presenting values to people in terms of what they are and are not. You're right. They're not goals. Um, but I, if you can picture like a, an upside down triangle, so the wide part is at the top or a cone, mm-hmm. right? I call this a values cone and it has three layers. And the first layer is your domains, value domains. And so these are things like family, romantic relationships, friendship, health, recreation. The second layer are actions, what you do or don't do. Hmm. But then the third layer, and the reason I do this as a cone is because you know if you've ever had a snow cone, the tip of that cone is where the juicy stuff resides, mm. right? You know, when it melts down a little yep. and all the juice collects in the tip of that cone. So that third layer is in, is the juicy stuff. And those are the qualities you embody as you're engaging in the actions from layer two under the domains from layer mm. one. That's good. And so let me give you, I'll give you an example of this. This is like, if let's say you tell me that um, uh, friendship is really important to you and you decide like, gosh, I really haven't been, nurturing my friendships as much as I would like to. So I'm going to plan like a monthly poker night with my guy friends. Great. Like you've got the domain of friendship. You've got the action of poker night. Now let's look at the juicy stuff. If you're showing up at poker night and you're talking about the weather, traffic, um, you know, or you're like, people ask you how's life and you're like, it's great. And meanwhile, you know, your business is failing or your dog just died. This is probably not you embodying the qualities that you value. And so when I talk about values, I say it's the me you want to be, Hmm. right? It's how you want to show up in the world, who you want to be, the life you want. 
But I, I imagine the reason you care about friendships is because you want connection and belonging. So the qualities you embody when you show up to poker are probably going to be things more like authenticity, um, maybe vulnerability, maybe humor, maybe playfulness. It could be any number of words, but to be really intentional, intentional about the you who shows up is what living values are. Now, how do you determine what that juicy stuff in tier three are, right? It's not, Ashton, tell me what your values are. There are a lot of different ways to do this. And it can certainly be in therapy, like an exploratory questioning process. And it can also be, you know, exercises, metaphors. And so I have a couple ways that are sort of my favorite way to do this. And some of them are like nice, quick and dirty ways. And some of them are a little longer. So one example I like is um, if you imagine that you had to write your epitaph, right? So like something that would be said about you on your gravestone or when you, when you pass, you can kind of do like, so the way I'll put this with clients is like, what would you want this to say? Here lies Ashton. He was really good at worrying about the fate of the world that it took away from his ability to be present with the people that he cared about. Or would you want it to say, here's like, here lies Ashton, even though I'm going to switch the example a little, cause I know this is true here. Here lies Ashton, even though he felt like he didn't know a lot about ACT. He was really brave and talked about it on his podcast, even though he felt like he was out of his depth, you know, something mm -hmm. like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's really getting at the kind of person you want to be when you're living, kind of living out loud. Does yeah. that make sense? Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. The, um, me, the me we want to be. The me you want to be. Yeah. 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 I had a, I had a client who, when we were talking about like, values words, writing a motto or a tagline or this epitaph, words just weren't coming to her. Hmm. And she said, I just keep getting an image of a disco ball. And I was like, Ooh, tell me more about that. <laughs> and she said something like, well, you know, individually, it's like all these little broken pieces, broken sharp pieces. But when you put them all together, they reflect light and they represent fun an adventure. And I want to be a person who reflects light back at other people, mm. back at the, back into the world That's good. and has fun. Like it was beautiful. And I actually put that in my upcoming book with her permission as an example, because if you don't think in words and you tend to think in, in images, that's yeah. brilliant. That's a metaphor, right? Yeah. A disco ball is a metaphor for the kind of person you want to be in the life you, the, you want to live. I also like to think about, I had a client come into session once who said, she did all these great things. And I said, well, what was the secret? She said, I just thought WWJD. And as I was freaking out that she was religious and I didn't know, she said, you know, what would Jill do? <laughs> and meaning me. And so we turned this into an exercise. If you think about a person who embodies the qualities that you want to embody, yeah. it could be someone, you know, a coach, a parent, family, friend, it could be a celebrity. For me, it's Oprah, WWOD. It could be a fictional character. And then that can help you when mm -hmm. you're in a position to make a decision like I, I had an opportunity to do a TED talk and I just didn't think I could do it. I was terrified. And I thought, what would Oprah do? And like, that was it. Decision made because Oprah would do it. Yep. Or I thought, what would Oprah say to me? And she, of course, would encourage me for sure to do it. So those are just a couple little ways that you can start to like scratch the surface on values. No, I, I love that idea. Images. Uh, what what are things that speak to you met metaphorically, right? The disco ball mm -hmm. yesterday or a couple of days ago, Debbie and I were talking through just like words that kind of hum within your being, you know, like words like mystery, mm -hmm. wonder, awe. These are words mm -hmm. that I that 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 I personally love, but I hadn't thought about the person perspective. And there's a list of people that I'm like, that's who I want to be when I grow up, and they've they have shown us the way. Right, they haven't just said here's the playbook, but if you do think long and hard about it, there's a handful of people in your life where you 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 can go, what would they do? How would they see this? Mm -hmm. And you know that answer. Mm -hmm. You've studied them. That's a beautiful beautiful practice for values. I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Yeah. Committed action. Um, talk to me about an exercise here. Now we and I always kind of want to jump off a little bit into the definition because maybe that can help us, mm. help guide us a bit, but committed, committed action being active and purposeful engagement in overt behavior that is in the service of moving in the direction of one's values. Um, 
So where do we go here in your Yeah, simply put, this is just walking the talk. Walking That's the it. talk. That's it. It's just walking the talk. And to be to be honest with you, yes, there's a whole section in that book that has examples for committed action. I almost never do like metaphors and exercises here because this is about like, we've already talked about your values. We've talked about all the ways thoughts or feelings threaten to get in the way. And the next step is like just do going it. and doing it. Just get after and it. I really believe in your ability to get your feet moving mm -hmm. and go do it. And I don't actually feel like we need to have a lot of like metaphors and exercises around it. Like I want to just see you go do it. And so for me, that's more like, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you want to commit to? Like, what would it look like to take this value of loving or attentive or present or whatever it is? And what would it look like to move your feet in, in those directions? Now, I will say, like, I do have some, some metaphors I like for when certain obstacles come up around mm. doing that. So for example, um, this is one that I created for my Be Mighty book. It's not in the big book of act metaphors. And so the idea is this, like, you are a ship on a journey. And maybe you have a destination that would be like a goal, but like the journey is really your values, right? The way that you're kind of navigating through, through the world and the fog rolls in and it is so thick. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. And of course the fog is metaphorical for your thoughts, your feelings, your internal experiences that get in the way. And so you think the only option you have is to drop anchor that you're just going to drop your anchor and you're going to wait it out because you can't see and like, you don't want to crash into mm -hmm. the rocks or get off course. So you'll just drop anchor. And so you wait and you wait and you wait. And now you're no longer on your journey. You're just sitting still. And a lot of times we do this, right? We have this like, well, I'll do that when, you know, I had a client who wanted to date and she wanted a new job and she had said she would do it as soon as she lost 50 pounds. And guess how long she was telling herself that story. 17 years. Wow. She was, she had her anchor down for 17 years. Why? Because of language, right? All the reasons and assumptions about whether you could get a boyfriend or a job if your body wasn't a certain size. And so the metaphor here with the, the journey and the boat and the fog is there is a way to continue to venture forward, even when that fog is thick. And that's the lighthouse. And those are your values. Mm. Like that beacon of light, those are your values. And that can guide your way, even if you can't see your hand in front of your face. And you may have to go more slowly, right? You may be a lot more uncomfortable because you can't see clearly in front of you. And yet you can keep going forward because you have that beacon of values to guide your way. Those North So stars. like, that's the way I like to move forward. I mean, the way I like to use metaphor around yep. like values and committed action is almost more talking about the obstacles to committed action. For sure. But for doing the committed action, it's like, what are you going to, what are you willing to do this week? Yeah. Overt behavior in the definition. Overt behavior. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. We've already named yeah. how this is going to go. Now you just got to get after it and get going. You know, you've that's already right. said where we're headed. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. good. Kicking the, kicking the tail, if you will. Um, I like it. Self is context. Um, this is very, I, you know, this is very non-dualistic thinking, seeing the world through non non-judgmental lens, uh, viewing reality as neutral, right? Not as good or bad, but just just observing, seeing seeing what is there. Um, any practices to kind of help develop that muscle? Um, yeah. Because it's all fun and games until life hits. And it's kind of hard to see without that judgmental lens, naming, critiquing, labeling everything. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, self as context is kind of this idea that while I have thoughts and I have emotions and I have physical sensations, I am also separate from them. That there is like this transcendent, stable sense of self that is always present and unchanged or unchanging, irrespective of the thoughts, the feelings, and the roles that I might embody it or experience at any given time. A self that's um, unoffendable and, and a self that doesn't need to be yes. defended. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's probably the most like esoteric of the six act processes, a little hard to like, kind of put a finger on something really tangible. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a form of diffusion, which I'm sure we'll talk about next. Yeah. Cause we only have a couple processes to go, but you know, diffusion is that act of like, 
stepping back and getting detached from your thoughts so that you can make choices related to values. And this is like a form of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the ways to do this exercise might be, a, a real quick and dirty one would be something like, right now, notice your left foot, right? So like you and I, I'm like, I have my foot on a footstool and the footstool has these like bumps on it. So I can feel the bumps. I can feel my sock on my foot. These are the things I'm noticing. We're being mindful of our left foot, right? So notice your foot. Now notice who's noticing. The watcher. Whoa, boom, what? (laughs) Yeah, so it's your observing self. I mean, that's exactly what self as context is. It's the opposite of self as content. Self as content is like, I am my thoughts. I am my feelings. I am my foot. Self as context is I am the vessel that contains these things, but I'm also separate from them. And so therefore I am able to observe that I am having that experience. So like, it's a little weird and heady to try to understand, but that's why we get experiential Mm because you can go, oh yeah, that's weird. But I get what you're saying because I do see that I have a foot and also I'm separate from my foot and I can observe that experience as separate from, right? Another way that are kind of longer drawn out exercises are like, think of a memory from kindergarten. And I give you a minute to think of that. And then I'll pick another arbitrary age, maybe like your 16th birthday. And then maybe where you were when you found out Michael Jackson died or 9-11 when 9-11 happened. And then think about what you ate for breakfast today. And can you notice that while you're, this would be very drawn out and I'm trying to keep it quick for the podcast, but like we might talk about how over that period of time, your knowledge has changed, your Mm -hmm. body has changed, your roles have changed. And can you make contact with the you that has been you throughout all of it? That's that transcendent, stable self. So while I have roles and thoughts and feelings, those things are always changing, but there's this me, this observer me that's separate from those that is present throughout. And if that's true, then that means that version of me is like unaffected Mm -hmm. by those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is for sure my favorite place. If if I'm allowed to anchor Mm -hmm. down anywhere on the, on the, is it called the hexaplex? Is that what it is? Hexaflex. Hexaflex. Flex because like psychological flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I knew I saw it somewhere. A hexaflex. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I, I can, I can, I can hang out here for, for, for a while, um, in your work in doing therapy with people, uh, and this is off the beaten path, but are, are, is any of these the more challenging area to cultivate? Like I, I could see how getting people to maybe if they've never had some of this, conversation or training or thinking and like you are not your thoughts there is actually an unoffendable you a a you that never needs to be defended it's it's at peace it's always okay and it's been there the whole time like i feel like there's a lot of work just to get down to arriving at that place maybe for some people so it's a great question it totally depends on the on the person Mm. i think everybody is like challenged for at different places for different reasons But the nature of your question is sort of exactly why we rely on experiential practice. Mm -hmm. Because if we just get caught up in talking about it, then clients will get confused and stuck and have a hard time. But if if we're practicing and we're making contact, you know, one of the things that we'll often say to our clients is like, don't believe me because I'm telling you this is true. Yep. Look at your experience. Right. What does your experience tell you? Because you're the expert on your experience. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's like, really, that's exactly why. Cause otherwise we could get up and get caught up in a whole debate about whether your thoughts are true and whether you, you have this stable sense of self that's unaffected, blah, blah, blah. Right. So we, we, we steer clear of that for exactly that reason. Yep. Yep. Well said. Um, diffusion. Um, how do we unhook any, any exercises, metaphors that in real time, and I'm always like, you kind of have like just some milliseconds to go get some of this out of your pocket, right? Like, cause it hit, it's going to, it's going to hit when I leave this room in the next hour. And how am I, where, where can I go? What can I reach for to unhook? Cause I feel like the better we can name the tools, the, the faster we can have access to them. 
Yeah. Well, and this is a really good point. Like to, to think that we should be able to, you know, listen to a podcast episode or read a book and suddenly stop reacting on autopilot. Oh, all I need to do is like defuse, meaning like detach, get distance from my thoughts. And there I have a space. And now I can always choose my, <laughs> my values. This is something that takes so much practice. I yep. mean, I've been doing this personally in my own life for over 20 years and I still get hooked constantly. Mm. And I, and I, and I don't make the values driven choice. I mean, I, I struggle the most, like with my kids, if my kids are fighting, it just goes straight up my spine and I snap at them. And, you know, I respond, I should say, I react on autopilot in that context often, but you know, these are, this is not an end goal, right? Like these yeah. are things that we have to return to again and again, and again, and practice and practice. And in some areas I'm really good at it. And in others, I am absolutely a work in progress two decades later. So I want people to practice self-compassion yeah. that this even takes experts right. a very long time. And even then we're very imperfect at it. But the idea with diffusion is that if I can, I'm putting my fingers together, but you know, fused means I'm like, I'm seeing the world from my thoughts. And what we want to do is defuse. And by the way, this is not diffuse like a bomb. It's defuse, D-E-F-U-S-E. -E. It's a totally made up word. That's part of it means like we're looking at our thoughts instead of from our thoughts, almost that we can like hmm. hold them out in front of us and observe them. And so there are two ways to defuse. One is to step back and observe thoughts. And you can do this with like any image. And this is a great place to create your own that fits for you. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with a stockbroker, I might use a stock ticker tape, tape image. If I'm working with a pilot, I might have skywriting or one of those banners that a airplane carries through the sky right. at the beach. If I'm working with people who like sports, then it could be hitting a baseball or a golf ball or kicking a football. But the idea is you're stepping back and watching your thoughts kind of go by in front of you. And that can be in the in the form of words. It can be in the form of pictures, depending on how you think. It could be looking at clouds in the sky. I mean, there's no end of ways that you can create visual imagery to do this. The other is called deliteralization of language. And this is, again, going back to that, like language creates psychological inflexibility. We want to recognize thoughts for what they are which is simply sounds and syllables and pictures. They're not truths with a capital T. Hmm. They might be, but they might not be, but they're really, they're just sounds and syllables. And so there's a lot of, a lot of ways to practice this deliteralization. You could sing a thought. Like I had somebody, um, we, I do, my book that's coming out is on imposter syndrome. And I was working with somebody who like felt like an imposter. So we would sing, for he's a jolly good imposter, for he's a jolly good imposter. And if you guys try this for yourself, like pick any song, Mary Had a Little Lamb, whatever, throw your throw your crap in there. And all of a sudden, it becomes a little less serious. Yeah. And this is not <laughs> to um, invalidate people's pain. Like it sucks to feel that way. Absolutely. Um, but it is a way to try to take it a little less seriously, because at the end of the day, thoughts and feelings are just that they're thoughts and feelings. And we get to choose whether to let them be in charge or not. And so one of the metaphors I like for this is I, I always got this image in my mind of a marionette puppet and the crossbars at the top or the hands, whichever you prefer. Those are the thoughts, right? Because they're right there mm -hmm. above the head of the puppet. And those crossbars are in control of the puppet's hands and feet and mouth, right? So the thoughts are in control of the hands and feet and mouth. And what we need to do, what diffusion does is it cuts the strings. Hmm. So the crossbars are still there. They're not going anywhere. The hands might still be trying to control them, but now you, your values, something else can be in charge of moving your hands and your feet and your mouth. Now I will say one time, I had a client say, well, if you cut the strings, the puppet would just fall into a puddle <laughs> onto the floor. And so once in a while, a metaphor will backfire. Right. It just won't resonate with someone. Yep. And that's fine. Yep. Luckily, there are, you know, hundreds yep. of others that you can choose from. And I would not argue with him and I wouldn't try to correct him and tell him something. I would just find something else yep. because that just that one just doesn't resonate, yep. you know, and yep. that happens sometimes. Yeah. But in your professional opinion, one who may sing uh, comedically about their problems is probably uh -huh. just diffusing them. Is that correct? I'm just asking for a friend. 
<laughs> well, it depends. That's usually our answer to everything. It depends. I mean, it could mean a lot of different things, but that is certainly oh one gosh. of the possibilities. You can say it in a cartoon voice. You can imagine, <clears throat> you know, like my kids, one of my kids just had their birthdays and they were sucking the helium out of their balloons, mm -hmm. you know, which of course was hilarious. So, you know, you could suck some helium and be like, I'm a failure. And it's pretty hard to take that thought seriously. And that is the point. So yeah. like, it's not to invalidate the pain, but to like maybe take these thoughts a little less seriously yeah. so that you're in a position to decide whether listening to them or not yeah. is going to move you in the direction of your, of your values. Like when I have a thought that I'm a bad mom, I'm not just going to be like, oh, I just need to say that in helium and move on. I, I want to investigate that yeah. thought. Yeah. And if, if, if like that thought is coming from a place of, gee, I've really been working a lot and have not been spending a lot of time with my kids and they really matter to me, then that's a thought I want to listen to in that moment so that I'm shifting to more values-driven behavior. But if that thought's making me go, I'm such a terrible mom, I'm just going to avoid my kids because they're better off without me, then that's probably not the most helpful way yeah. to yeah. be thinking of about that thought, right? So you want to be thoughtful about thoughts, if that makes sense. If I listen to this, is it going to move me in the directions of my values or not? Yeah, yeah. And if not, then how can I detach and make a different decision? And That's one right. of those ways can be these these diffusion exercises. Yeah. Making making more space. Making more space. Mm -hmm. Making um, space. Acceptance. So uh, Th this one, I, this one can be challenging for me, but I, I wanted you to kind of hold my hand a bit as we navigate. Um, can you like parentheses acceptance for me? Like, this is also what this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. Like, I, yeah. I think it'd be helpful. A hundred percent. Because I think sometimes you're like, well, acceptance. There it is. Just accept what it is and move on. Like, I think we need to really dig into the peel the onion back a bit. I think this is the most acceptance and values. Like if I had, you know, there's six of these core processes. And if I had to pick two, it would be acceptance and values. And what acceptance is not, well, what acceptance is, is willingness to have whatever is going on inside your emotions, your physical feelings, your urges without doing anything mm. to control them. But that does not mean liking, wanting, giving up, giving in resignation. Like that would just make you a masochist. And then you've mm -hmm. got a whole different set of issues that you have to deal with, right? So, but it's really about allowing something to be present that's already here anyway. Why would I want to do that? Why would I make sense? Why would I want to make space for pain that's really uncomfortable? So to talk about acceptance, we have to first talk about the opposite of acceptance, which is experiential avoidance. And avoidance is anything that you do to try to control how you feel, typically to try to feel better, to try to feel more, more uh, comfortable. Now, that doesn't mean all avoidance is bad, but often avoidance is bad. So um, what are some examples of avoidance that might be problematic? Procrastination, substance abuse, right? That Those are kind of the obvious ones. Avoiding social situations, if you're afraid of that, being non-confrontational, a people pleaser, maybe overworking perfectionism. Um, but what about something like yoga? Does yoga fit that definition? Does it change the way you feel on the inside? Probably. So technically it could count as experiential avoidance. But then the question is like, well, is it bad? And the answer of like, okay, this is avoidance. Is it bad? It's always going to be, it depends. Mm. So if I go to yoga a couple of times a week and it makes me like feel more grounded and centered and less anxious and I can afford the classes and I have the time to do it and it's not getting in the way of anything else. Great. But if I'm so unwilling to feel any amount of discomfort that I'm going to yoga twice a day for two hours and never seeing my family, or I'm showing up late to work when those are things that matter to me, now it's become a problem. Hmm. So it's always about, you know, experiential avoidance, like almost always has this function. Like I say it works or we wouldn't do it, right? Hmm. We all know procrastination is yeah. bad, yeah. but it works. The minute you give yourself permission to put off a task, you get relief. Everything we do gets us something. That's the function. What we need to ask ourselves is what is the cost? And if it has no cost, great. There's nothing wrong with regulating your, your central nervous system, right? Right. Unless it has a cost. If you, if you um, want to use an umbrella in the rain, that's technically avoidance. Is it a problem? It depends. The answer to that question is always, de it depends. If I'm walking outside in my neighborhood on the street, on the sidewalk, it's probably not a problem. 
But if I'm at a Red Sox game with 60,000 other people and I throw my umbrella up and it's poking <laughs> the people next to me and blocking the view behind me and I happen to care about my fellow citizens, now it's a problem. Yeah. So that's always the question. So when experiential avoidance is problematic, that's when we want to engage in something else. So let me, before we get to acceptance, let me talk about metaphors and experiential exercises around this idea that the struggle is the problem. Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite metaphors that I think really resonates with people and tell me if we're getting like close to time and you need me to like. Good. You're good. We've got all okay. the time in the world. Okay. Um, so let's say I tell you that this is like an oldie but goodie. This is one that I keep in my toolbox at all times. Um, let's say I decide to hook you up to a stress or anxiety detector machine. And I say to you, um, Ashton, just don't get anxious and you'll be fine. But if you get anxious, this machine is going to deliver a lethal shock and you're going to die. But just don't get anxious and you're going to be totally fine. What's going to happen? I'm going to get the dose, the lethal dose. Yeah, you're dead, Very, right? Uh, you're dead. Many times. Many, yes. And it is not because the incentive isn't high. It's the, it's the biggest incentive there is, assuming you're not suicidal, right? But think about your relationship to anxiety in that scenario. You're now telling yourself, this is bad. It's dangerous. I can't get anxious. If I get anxious, I'm going to die. And that's like kind of literally what people do when mm -hmm. they feel anxious and stressed. Oh my God, I'm so stressed. My cortisol, I got less stress, less stress. And part of that is because the media is always telling us that too, right? But now you're anxious about anxiety, so you're anxious. You're stressed about stress, so you're stressed. That's a problem. That's yep. a trap. Yep. And often the more we try to control it, the bigger it is, the more present it is. So another metaphor I like is if you imagine yourself like in a swimming pool, because we've all done this as kids at the beach or in a pool or whatever, and you've got a beach ball floating on the top of the water and you try to push it under the surface. It takes a lot of energy, attention, effort, and eventually you can get it under there, but you can't focus on anything else. Right. And then what happens 100% of the time? Move your hands, here it comes. The ball comes up yeah. and the further you push it down, the higher it flies. And so this is like a great metaphor for stuffing emotions down, right? For yeah. trying to avoid or suppress how we feel. They find a way, one way or the other. But what might it be like to just let the ball float around? Sometimes it's going to be bumping up against your head and annoying you. Sometimes it's going to be on the other side of the pool and you're not even, you're not even aware it's there. But regardless of where that ball is, your energy and attention are now freed up to do headstands and somersaults and play Marco Polo and swim laps and whatever the heck else you want to do no. in that body of water. You're, you're accepting that you can't control it. And by accepting 100%. that you can't control it, you're just allowing it to be there. And exactly. it's that allowing that then gives you the space to say, so who do you want to be? Who's the me I want to be? That's 100% right it. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bingo. Yeah, yeah. That's you got it. Acceptance, that's exactly right. That, that's helpful to dig into, this is a conversation about control. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> when that's right. When we're talking about acceptance. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. It's like being, what, what the way I sort of like simplify it that I think represents it best is just talking about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Now you might not ever be comfortable being uncomfortable. So if to be more precise, it would be willingness to be uncomfortable, yeah. but people get it when you say getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And this is my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite thing in the world to practice with people because there are so many ways to build that willingness muscle before you, one of the ways I describe it is like, let's say you're having trouble, uh, maybe you're having panic attacks and, or maybe you have social anxiety and you, I'm not gonna make you go give a speech tomorrow to practice willingness. That would be like, if you tell me I wanna go climb Mount Everest, I'm not gonna put you on a plane to Nepal tomorrow if you've never even hiked the little trails in your backyard, right? Like you have to train for that. Yeah. And this is the same. And the way we train and build those muscles is just by using our five senses to do things that are hard. Right. So like right now, and the internet is beautiful for this. You have no idea how much I love YouTube. Like we can find things to look at that people hate to look at. We can listen to <laughs> sounds, nails on a chalkboard, jackhammers, babies crying. Um, I like, you know what? We can do one right now. So you're wearing your watch on your left hand. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Notice how that feels. Is that always where you wear your watch? It is. 
Yes, because you're writing. Okay, notice how it feels. Now I want you to take, I'm going to do the same. We're both going to take off our watches and listeners can do the same. You can do this with any jewelry. You can do it where your glasses upside down. We're both putting our watch on our other hand and pay attention to the process. It's very hard to put on. It's very hard to clasp it. And now notice how it feels. And it's upside down. Uh-huh. <laughs> and how does it, tell me how it feels differently now than it did before. Uh, it just feels foreign. Doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah. It's feel appropriate. It's funny. Yeah. It feels wrong, right? And mine feels heavy somehow. Yeah. It's like, it feels like it gained a pound since I moved it somehow. So, so what I'm doing here is like, let's do anything we can the funny feeling way. Hmm. And now also notice the urge to put your watch back because that's the thing we respond to. Yep. It's the urge to get the comfort and just open up and make space and let that be there. You can do that, right? Like we can notice that it feels awkward. We can notice that we want to put it back and we can choose not to. Now, this isn't like tied to values in this moment, but it's a way to train so that when you feel uncomfortable about giving a speech, but this is the way you're going to advance in your career and your career really matters to you or your best friend asked you to be their best man or their maid of honor, and you want to be able to show up for them in that way, practicing getting comfortable being uncomfortable as often as possible over time will make doing that in harder spaces easier. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's a beautiful exercise and a metaphor that we could all lean into, like just wearing your watch on a different hand for a while, for a, for a full day. That's a that's a subtle reminder of hey, di that things can be different. There's mm -hmm. there's asymmetry in the world. Perfection doesn't yeah. exist. And so, yeah, what an interesting way to carry that. And then over. we build up, right? Like I we watched like have you ever watched like the last five minutes of the movie Marley and Me? I don't think I have. Oh God. Oh, <laughs> if you want to practice willingness, go look that up on YouTube. Okay. So that's where we practice willingness toward emotion or we'll watch like jump scares. You know, you can yeah. look up like yeah, a yeah. compilation of the 10 best jump scares and then that's making space for fear. So it's still practice versus the thing you're really doing in life, but it's kind of moving up from this mild discomfort on our wrist yeah. to like actual emotional discomfort that is typically the thing that that people are avoiding. My favorite way to do this is to eat bean boozled jelly beans. Do you know what those are? Bean boozled jelly beans. Teach me. Okay, you can buy these on Amazon very cheap or in toy stores or whatever. They're like the Harry Potter Birdies Bots beans. So yep. they come in flavors like vomit and dirty dishwater <laughs> and uh stinky socks. And so I do this with clients. I have a box. Actually, I think it's down in my bedroom, not in my office, but I keep a box here. And together, even though we meet on Zoom, I make them order them and they have their box and I have my box and you spin a spinner and it says, okay, pick the pink one with the speckles on it. And that's either going to be banana, strawberry banana smoothie, or it's going to be vomit. And so we eat these together and practice willingness toward some of these very terrible flavors. And there's so much mindfulness practice in it because you notice the anticipation, you notice the dread. And then the first you bite and you're just waiting to see, what did I get? What did I get? And then you're either like, oh, relief. Yes, I got strawberry banana and I'm happy. And you're noticing that, or you get vomit and you're like, oh gosh, I'm experiencing disgust and I want to spit it out. And I have an urge to like avoid this, but can I open and make space and recognize at the end of the day, it's just jelly bean hmm. and really sit through that entire range of emotions and physical sensations and just let whatever is there be there. Yeah. Wow. Really fun. Yeah. Well then, so that leads right into this idea of like, what is the invitation for the listener, right? Maybe they're just like me and they're hearing all this stuff for pretty much the first time. Um, I guess one option is they can go buy some jelly beans on Amazon. Um, they can. The, but, you know, what's like... Give us some, uh, I think Debbie and I called them floaties, you know, like give us a little something to kind of navigate our lives. We, we don't want to just dive in head first, but like, or just how do you get ankle deep into this stuff? Because it is, a, it's, it's a practice. It's a discipline. These yeah. things, they, they aren't just natural. Maybe some are more natural than others for us, but like, um, what's the invitation for us to take these beautiful practices and kind of have them yeah. enfleshed in our lives. 
Yeah, I mean, if I'm talking about like just wanting to give people a starting point, I would want to see two things. One would be to take a few minutes and to try to dig into one or two or three of your most important values, right? Like for me, like I really want to be someone who's authentic and someone who contributes. Like those are just two that kind of come to mind that are the top for me. So like maybe think of two of those things. And then think about the way, like what is getting in the way of you being able to do that, right? So sometimes I'm not authentic because I might be afraid that I'm going to be rejected or criticized or judged in some way, right? So then it's like, how can I make space for that fear? And how can I detach from that narrative and choose to do one thing that's authentic today? Um, You know, so it would be something like that, like see if you can kind of like come up with one or two of those words, identify what's getting in the way, and then practice getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Like that is really what this is about. And I do this, like, I like to have my money all facing the same way in denominational order. And I absolutely 100% never have my money that way, because I'm constantly practicing getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I shove it in my wallet in a big old mess, and I hate it. But then I forget about it and it's fine, (laughs) you know, so it's like any opportunity to be able to do things like that genuinely does improve your ability. It it creates so many opportunities that if your life becomes less and less about needing to be in the comfort zone, Hmm. because let's face it, that is never where growth happens. It's cozy and it's fine once in a while, but it's not where growth happens. And so the more you can practice, I I interviewed someone on my podcast and she talked about the comfort zone and the circle around it being the vulnerability edge. Hmm. And like you don't, her name's Maho Malfino. She wrote a book called The Good Girl Myth. You don't have to dive 50,000 yards outside of that comfort zone because you'll probably come screaming right back. But if you can just find your vulnerability edge and dip a toe over it, that's the place to start. And as you do that more and more, that edge gets wider and wider. Yep. Right. The circle, your comfort zone gets bigger. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Just like stretching. The more you stretch, yes. the more flexible you become. Stretching is never comfortable. It's you're never like, oh, this is such a comfortable position. Like it's but it's helping you become more flexible. And that is a gorgeous metaphor that you just created right in this moment. Here we go. Beautifully illustrate what we were talking about. And that is the purpose of metaphor, because people are going to hear what you say and go, oh, totally. That makes perfect sense. That right there is why we use metaphor. Beautiful. Um, Full circle. Full circle. Before we go, I always ask people just a few questions. You cool if I run these by you? Of course. Do you have any daily rituals? Anything that you do every single day? Um, Yes and no. So of course, like I have kind of my like ritual for like getting up and having my coffee and whatever. However, like based on what we were just saying about putting the money in the wrong way. I actually try not to have rituals because I try to be out of my comfort zone and rituals are the way we naturally do things. Like you probably always put your pants first and right, first and left or vice versa, but either way, it's always the same. So I constantly try to switch that up as a way to practice being flexible. Keep it fresh. Keep it new. Yeah. Uh, What's currently keeping you curious? Oh, So this is me stepping like way out of my comfort zone (laughs) is I, as I mentioned, like I've written three nonfiction books and I was invited to write another and I turned it down because I'm taking a stab at writing fiction. Yes. And ironically, I feel like a big imposter, you know, because I'm not a fiction writer, but I take my own advice and I'm taking a stab at it anyway. So I'm very curious and I'm like loving the challenge and learning and just getting the creative juices flowing in it in a new way. It's been awesome. Is your imposter book done yet? Or is, are you? It's done. It yeah. comes out uh, September 19th. Interesting. So it's like already out there, like available for pre-order, but it hasn't been like officially So you're taking yet. your own medicine. I am taking my own medicine. <laughs> I love it. But truly like that's what <clears throat> act and psychological flexibility has allowed me to do. Yeah. Like the risks that I've taken, the ways that I've been willing to do things that are uncomfortable. Like truly it's all because I practice these principles that we're talking about. Like really life changing. Very cool. Um, What advice would you give to your younger self? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. There you go. Like I wish that I had known to do that at an earlier age. And in fact, I just gave a a talk to a bunch of um, teens about mental health stuff and 
that was kind of the whole idea. It's like, if I could teach youth just one thing, it would be the importance of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I feel like it could change their entire trajectory. Yeah, yeah, well said. Dr. Jill Stoddard, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know this has been a great conversation. I've loved it. Uh, thank you for being patient with my non-academic ways and uh, helping me be the student today and you be the teacher. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a blast, and I'm super grateful for you and your work and your energy in the world. Well, it was my pleasure, and I also think you are giving yourself way too little credit because <laughs> you, like, you have got this. You have got this more than you are giving yourself credit for, for sure. Well, it's, uh, it sure is. Um, it, it, the more I dig in, the, the wider it gets, right? Like the deeper and wider it gets, and um, it's a beautiful yeah. tool. So, um, well, thank you. Listen, love to have you back anytime. Just say when, and uh, you've yeah. got a place here at the Good, True, and Beautiful table. Let's do it. We can talk about imposter syndrome in the fall. Let's do it. When the book comes That's out. That's a deal. Yeah. We'll make and it if happen. People, can I give you a place that people can find me if Please. they want to learn more? Please do. So my website is just my name, jillstotter.com. And I have a monthly newsletter with all these. They're all act tips, basically. More like once every other month, more than once okay. every month. Um, but I'm on social media and everything is there on my website, books, newsletter, the whole nine yards. Right on. You can find it all at jillstoddard.com. You guys make sure you go there. Um, Jill, grace and peace. Thanks so much. Back at you.